Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up, three-pointer, bang, bang, it's good, Dodgers wins the game at the buzzer. Don't miss a beat, whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four, for four, welcome to the NBA. The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. It's another episode of Coast to Coast. It's been a minute, Ronan. Haven't seen you in a while. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, excited. Excited for what we have to talk about. Talk about today. I'm um, excited to talk about some of, some of the young, uh, young aspiring duos in the NBA looking to become the next AD and LeBron. Well, I don't know if we'll take it that far. We'll cover everyone's <laughs> expectations here. But yeah, man, we're going to talk today about exciting young players. Um, in this a new age, um, until obviously the new age of duos has been interrupted a little bit by Brooklyn, but in this budding new age of dynamic duos, we have some young players across the league that we uh, want to talk about. Um, and I, I think I know where we, where we, where we want to start, where we want to jump right into it, because you've been banging this drum all season long, even before the season started. I told you to simmer down. You didn't simmer down. I joined you for a little bit. I'm still not sure, but I might come around to the idea of sexland. Let's talk about it. I, I, I know you're, you're shaking your head there. You're excited. So, so I'll, I'll say this because I brought it up. I'll, as a doubter and Darius Garland and Colin Sexton being a pairing of this team, you know, I, I jumped into this case and thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out with plenty of evidence why I don't think this is going to work out long term. But, you know, I, I've, I've come out the other side watching film, you know, being a lot more hopeful and seeing a lot of interesting dynamics between these two players that I, I think actually, you know, has changed my outlook in a meaningful way that these two guys aren't just being uh, successful players on their own, but they're the way their plus minus has impacted uh, their team, that their team is always better with them on the floor. Um, the other night you saw that against Chicago where they're up 25. The second they came off the floor, the lead was cut just five minutes down to 12. Had to bring them back out there. I mean, these guys are impacting the Cavs in a meaningful way in a part of this franchise after LeBron where, you know, the the, the team really believes in these two. And I know you do too. So, I mean, I, I think this is this uh, pairing is probably front and center right there on your on your notes there. So why don't you take it away? Yeah, I mean, this is just uh, like the name alone just just gets me excited. You know, a bit a bit of sex land. I was like, that's just a great, that. that's a great combo. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, these are two two young guys. I mean, sex and twenty two, Garland twenty one, and they're really just a sign of hope and the sign that something can turn here for Cleveland, and it's something that they can believe in. Because don't get me wrong, I, I understand that where the doubts come from with these two guys. I mean. 
especially in in the modern game, there's a lot of big guards playing in this league, and these two guys are right on the opposite end of that. They're two of the two of the smaller guards you're going to get in the league. So there's there's a lot of a lot of frailties there, especially on the defensive end. But the way these two guys complement each other, they got Sexton's just a knockdown knockdown scorer. Every year he's been in the league, he's come back the following season and he's he's added a little bit more to his offensive game. And then you look at Garland and the way he compliments him, great spread of the floor. He's got deep range and he shoots a pretty decent percentage from three as well. He's just up above 40%. And he also is able to kind of take that playmaking ability away, uh, the pressure kind of away from Sexton. Sexton's capable of it, but his main, his main thing is scoring. So knowing that he's got Garland on the floor to kind of take the major responsibility of making plays for others is a big thing. It's going to be something that Sexton's going to have to improve in his game. And, uh, and as the years go on, it's definitely something that he's going to have to work harder on. But for Cleveland, they've got a young duo. And if they want to commit to them, they can. And I think they should. I mean, these guys got the potential to be special, but Cleveland will have to really be specific about the type of team that they aim to build around them to really see success with this young this young duo. Yeah, and I think it's it's just such a casual take on, on my end. But um, when they drafted Garland, uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh my, this is just a a lazy uh, best player type of pick. And and even in my head, in my head at the time, I didn't have Garland where he was drafted. Um, but looking back on it, looking back how management talked about it and how they talked to Sexton about it too, about how this is a a guy they want to play small and in, in the league today, you know, like you said, it's not the typical small ball. I mean, they're doing the opposite. They're they're going for Jared Allen and Larry Nance, and then they're going small on the wing and at the guard position. And, um, I, I think, I think as fans, we get so wrapped up in you know trends we get wrapped up in what what's what's successful what's the what's the hottest thing right now oh the the zion can't shoot threes yet or maybe he's not ready to be a go-to player well well who who else is dominating the league just by shooting just about everything at the rim i mean it's not i mean there there are guys right now who are cornering uh their own success um in their own ways and i think that applies to teams too i mean there's definitely also precedent for this team um and the first thing I wanted to talk about is a comparison that, you know, it's not, I don't like player comparisons a lot of times because it kind of takes away the nuance of, of their specific play. I think Garland and Sexton are unique in their own right for a lot of different ways, but um, look at Donovan Mitchell and Conley. These two guys are the same exact size. I mean, these are not big guards by any means. And Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he himself, you know, it's a tough comparison because he's such a hyper explosive athlete Mm -hmm. that he and his wingspan too, he can play way beyond his size, but the same type of physicality. I mean, you compare that to, to Colin Sexton, they both have that, you know, the intangible physicality that you don't see on the statue, that intangible motor that they both have. And their year threes are basically identical. I mean, Mitchell in, in year three, playing 34 minutes, 24 points, 45% from the field, 37% from three, 86% from the free throw line, 4.3 assists. And I mean, across the board, that is literally the, just about the exact stat line. I mean, Sexton was a little bit more efficient, 47, 48% from the field. 
he's a little better from three, 37% from three. Um, not quite as good from the free throw line. It doesn't get there as much, but I mean, their ability to be dynamite scorers at their size, I mean, it's comparable. I mean, if you, if you go through Conley's year two and Garland's year two, it's, it's actually uncanny how much they mirror each other. So from a pure production perspective, I mean, it's comparing a team in the Jazz who are being successful with a center who can't shoot the three, two very small guards, um, and wings who can shoot and play switchable defense. You know, th- this is a type of, of model that the Cavaliers are pushing for that, you know, you're seeing it right now. The Jazz are the best team in the West, and that's not something you can easily replicate, but the archetype is definitely there in a way that I definitely didn't look at it in the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really interesting comparison. I, I hadn't really even thought about that myself, but it, it is, it, it's absolutely true. It just shows that, with the right set of players around a, a young duo like that, uh, with, with the kind of lacking on the, the size end of things, and just with, with good coaching, it is very, very possible to have success with this with this type of blueprint for for, for a young team. And, I, I mean, you talk sex and stats, and then you look at Garland as well. He's averaging 18 points, six assists, shooting about 45% from the field, 41% from... Um, from three, and then he's around about eighty-five percent um, from the free throw line. Obviously, he wouldn't get wouldn't get there too often, but that's it's just such efficient scoring, and the way he goes about that that work, even when he's not, even when Sexton's not on the floor, I think they both kind of miss games, and I feel like they're often they often don't miss the same game. I feel like one of them misses one game, and then the next one's missing yeah. the next game. That's the way it kind of seems to go. But when these guys on the on the floor together, as you see, and they just they just click and they just they make this Cleveland team into obviously they're they're nothing special yet. I mean they're on twenty one and thirty nine, they're thirteenth in the East. But when those two guys are on the floor, Cleveland are a pretty a pretty decent watch. They're they're always a plus. They're always a plus when they're on the floor together. And I think that's the most um, impactful thing to look at because. You, you go into these these dives and you, you know, I, I expected to come out being pretty convinced by the numbers that um, they're not playable together. And it's just not, it's not provable by the numbers. And when you watch it by the eye test, I mean, they synergize quite well. I mean, Garland can play off the ball whenever he wants. He is a prolific three-point shooter who's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is in, in college and in limited games he played. You saw that he's a type of guy who's going to be creative with the dribble and shoot as deep as he can. And for a player like him of his of his caliber and his base skill, I think he has a lot of growth to to have in front of him. For for Colin Sexton, I think becoming a, a better off-ball shooter and being more active as a playmaker, I mean, has been absolutely huge for his outlook as a player. Cause you know, in the, the first couple of years, I think a lot of a lot of people, I'm definitely not uh, on this island of thinking that Sexton was kind of just a a uh, one-dimensional scorer who's not super efficient, but but for Sexton to make a jump in efficiency, you know, j- just like the the comparison against you to Donovan Mitchell isn't to to necessarily say they're going to have the same outcomes, but it's impressive to see how he's made a jump and has made meaningful strides in his deficiencies. His def- defense too has has definitely looked a lot better this year. Um, so I mean, in terms of like projecting teams and projecting duos. Um, you know, they, they do have, I, I think you mentioned it in terms of the pieces they have around them. You have Jared Allen, you have 
Larry Nance, and you you wonder how good a Coro can be in terms of a switchable defender, a, a lead defender. Um, is the ceiling though capped by their size still? I mean, that's still my question. So it's no longer are they ever going to be good? I think they can be good together. I think they can be very good together. But is their ceiling ultimately capped by their size and the defensive um, uh, mistakes? And even just the deficiency of not being able to have two elite defenders in the in the backcourt. Yeah, I think that that's fair enough, and I, I think uh, that's something we we're, we'll see over the next the next year or two. I think it's up to, to Cleveland to kind of give them the best platform to prove that this isn't gonna isn't gonna hold them back. But at the same time, if they can't do that, maybe a year or two down the line, that it might might be time that they have to go. They have to choose one and, and try to go another way. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see if I really like Jared Allen there. I, I like and Larry Nance. I mean, Larry Nance is I mean, he doesn't look quite right after his illness. Seems like he's still getting his uh his win back, and now he's going to be out again after fractured thumb. So I mean, good good for you. So you're facing me in fantasy. This is our semifinals, right? Now. I really needed him to to act up, but I, I like how their their front court looks right now. I think what I would what I would like to see is another big wing on the floor. I mean, similar to, to how the jazz have done. Um, Boyan is no slump on defense. He's not, he's not elite, but he switches well. He battles in the post. He rebounds quite well for his size. I mean, if, if they're getting, if they can get somebody who can be more of a mobile guy, Larry Nance is a mobile guy, but he's not, he's not coming off screens for threes. I mean, I, th- I think if, if they can continue this model that, that the jazz have, have shown is successful, um, again, I just talked about how fans are obsessed with, with uh, certain trends, but it's undeniable just how effective that type of system has been. And if you're going to have a dynamic duo in the backcourt like these two guys who are creative with the ball, can really penetrate the defense, I think having having a guy at the four um, who can shoot and move off screens is important. And, and I don't know if Isaac Isaac Okoro certainly isn't ready to, to be that type of complimentary uh, three and D wing like they got with Royce O'Neal, but um, who, who knows? I mean, it, all it takes is an offseason. For these young guys, you, you can never think it too soon. And, you know, you, you are the master of patience, Ronan, so I, I know that you'll, uh, you'll wait long enough to see how that works out. Yeah, I think I think, I, think I, I still got to give them time. I think uh, once, once they're still, uh, still in their early 20s, I think I can, I'm still, still, I still got some pretty uh, decent slack to cut, you know? <laughs> yeah. So who's next on the menu here? Well, it depends which way we want to go. I guess we, we, we got a bit of a questionable one there. Maybe we go for a dead cert that just they, they can't fail. And that's what I, I go to the to the duo down in a, out, out your way, the Boston duo of Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. I I love I love this duo. Um I've loved it from the beginning. Man, I, I think they it, it's disappointing how this season has gone. Um and it, it's tough to to pin it on any one player, any coach. It's been it's been failure on many fronts. Um, but, you know, again, for, for Celtics fans, what I've said over and over again is that any disappointment that you have this year, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt because you have a young duo in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, that is any anyone in this league would probably swap there too, except for maybe a couple that we'll talk about, but anyone would kill to have the talent that they have at the wing positions there. And 
I think the most exciting thing for me with these guys is that you look for players to really connect with one another, especially your, your best players. You don't want to have any sort of um, conflicting agendas between your two best young players. Cause I mean, that look at the cautionary tale of Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady. I mean, look how amazing could have those guys been together if they invested in being successful as a duo. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll never know. And that's, and that's something that you really hope that forms between your, your best young players and, um, Jalen and Jason, I mean, they, they share pants figuratively and, and literally <laughs> I mean, that was a little bit weird of a story <laughs> when, when I, they, someone was posting out pictures of, uh, of pants that they're wearing to, to games. And then someone was like, wait, they're wearing the same pants they're wearing last week, <laughs> but the way that they both can share the ball, they, they don't have a ton of synergy in, in terms of the positions they play and, and playing off each other, but the way that they can both let each other take turns in an effective way. Um, they both exploded this year. I mean, early on, they were both top 10 in scoring and efficiency, and they've continued to have elite seasons. But I mean, what's, what's even the limit if they continue to get even better? Yeah, I think you just look at what they've done, done so far. I mean, like look at Tatum, all NBA, two-time all-star elite scorer, got the size, the length, the drive, everything to be a great player. And then Brown this year, he's the first time All-Star. He's becoming an elite scorer. He's a top-level wing defender. And these are both guys that are 23 and 24 years old. I mean, how? Like, it's just scary. And the amount of experience they've already got in big situations as well, that's going to yeah. pay to them as we move forward. And unless Danny Ainge just goes completely off the side of a cliff, this, this, this duo can't... I just don't see how they can fail together in Boston unless... Unless it's going to be stuff out of their control if there's a failure of, the, of these yeah. guys in Boston. What's what's funny to me is you know I don't I don't even think I'm not sure how good Boston thought that Jalen Brown would be now, because Jalen Brown's name in trades early last year, especially late the season before, mm -hmm. um, you know thinking about okay what kind of big man can we get that that's a that's an important position to get. Um, even even trades where you know if if we get picks out of out of the Pacers, a lot of people thought maybe you know Jason Tatum's enough on the wing, and if we if we get a center like Miles Turner and get something else for him too, like if you if you put that out now, that would sound insane. Mm -hmm. But the but how quickly he's established himself in just the past year and a half as a bona fide star on both ends of the court. Um, I mean it's it's undeniable that I, I think he's, he's going to be a staple in, in both, not just as a, as a, an elite defender, but he's a go-to scorer in the playoffs. I, I really, I really hope that he, he shines in this, uh, in this year's playoffs. Cause I think he's got the potential to take a lot of pressure off of Jason Tatum as a go-to scorer. Cause I mean, that's, that's a big issue. You know, is Jason Tatum going to be able to handle double teams constantly at, and you know, he's done a good job um facilitating this year but having another guy like um, brown to take off the load of him and you know kemba's starting to come on his own too but no matter who it is kemba's not going to be there in a few years i don't think and who, who knows who else they're going to surround them with but they'll always have those two guys to rely on on both ends of the court and you know <laughs> you can easily build any team you talked about colin sexton and darius garland i mean you're going to have to build a very specific team around them they can be good uh, it's going to take a very specific formula to make them great. 
Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you can go so many different ways with those two type of guys. You can do, it's, it's really hard to, to mess it up with, with the versatility and two-way play of those two guys. I mean, it, Danny Ainge is, is sure, surely going to be questioning himself if in five years they haven't done anything significant to this point. Yeah, no, that, that would be really, really insane. I mean, anytime I'm watching these guys, it's like that I just forget just how young they still are and how, how long they have to go in their careers. But I mean, this year, obviously, with Boston, it's been a bit kind of all over the place. Uh, they're 32 and 29. They're sitting in sixth place in the East. I think they'll be confident enough that they're not going to have to deal with the, with the play in tournament. But there's work to be done there. And it's not anything huge because these guys are going to be the leaders of the team, but they just need to f- do some, some clever work out there in the trade market, maybe in free agency to just get the right pieces in with these two guys. And I just think the sky's the limit then for Boston. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, to see both these guys in the playoffs. I, I think it's, it's going to take just a playoff series. Well, one playoff series. I mean, you, you saw they, they went on a little run here. And then, of course, they they end it with losing to my Bulls, <laughs> which I which I knew was going to happen, too. I mean, it, the, the perfect trap game that, that the Celtics have been falling to all year long. But um, I, honestly, I, I don't think I don't think anyone could figure it out. A, a hand reader couldn't figure it out. A, a site couldn't figure it out. I, I, I don't really know what it is in, in terms of uh, Boston's effort as a team uh, on both ends of the court being disengaged at times. Um, just a lot of intangibles that lead to their losses, but in a playoff series, um, that's going to be the true test. And I think both these guys are going to show out that, you know, they're, they're the foundation of a long-term contender and we better see it this year. Um, there's no warning signs on the wall. Cause I think both these guys are, are really invested in each other as teammates, but um to go as far as they came last year and to, to come close a year prior um, and how competitive these guys all are collectively as a team. And I'd be, I'd be surprised if they didn't find success in the playoffs. Um, but another team, I want to talk about our Pelicans. Let's jump over to Zion and Brandon Ingram. And what's funny is, you know, they haven't gotten a lot of discussion as a dynamic duo, not at all. Um, it's just been all about Zion, which is completely understandable. I mean, this guy's having an unreal season. I mean, post all-star break, he's averaging over, uh, over 30 points, seven rebounds, over four assists. And he's of course doing everything in the paints. He's shooting over 60% and it's taken a, a lot away from BI. I mean, and here's the thing, BI among the players is age. There's only Mitchell and Tatum that have averaged over 24 points, four rebounds, four assists, on 38% or better from three. I mean, that's company like guys like Curry, Levine, Doncic, Carl Anthony Towns, Jokic. I mean, he's an elite company when it comes to being an all-around scorer and a contributor with crazy efficiency. And that's not something necessarily we'd say in the first few years of Brandon Ingram's career. And we've seen his clear development over the last couple of years. And he has to be talked about when we talk about the young guys in this league. And alongside a guy like Zion, I mean, that's this is, in my mind, one of the most underrated duos in the league. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, just looking at it on paper, it's just offensive domination. I mean, Zion, the scoring in the paint and inside and the rebounding and then B.I. with the scoring and the fact that he's continuing this year after a huge a year last year where he was most improved player, all-star berth, 
he's developing his all around game and he's continuing to have those those efficient uh, scoring numbers. And I mean, like, it, it, it's it's crazy to think that they haven't had that much talk. It's just kind of been Zion. Obviously, Zion's having a great year. And this is probably a bit of a, a rollover effect from how little we got to see of Zion in his in his rookie yeah. year. But uh, obviously, they're, they're, they're looking like they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. And when you're looking at the guys around B.I. and Zion, they're probably going to need a fairly specific core to really for this, uh, these two as a duo to really uh, see the highest levels of success. I mean, you want kind of a few more shooters and maybe a couple of top wing defenders ar- around these guys to really work. But when you got a guy like Zion, I think it, it, it's it's kind of hard to think anything else than it's going to be uh, another maybe maybe not next year, but in the next two or three years, this is going to be this is going to be a Pelicans team that if they keep this these two guys together just with Zion alone they're going to be right up there challenging yeah and I think when we talk about duos I think one thing that I that I like to evaluate I mean for Jason Tatum Jalen Brown um you know they, they play off each other well as, as as two wings and and same thing with with Garland and Sexton um I mean so the synergy exists between those two um duos but when we talk about two guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram, I see the potential for both of them together to be involved in offensive actions that can be completely game-breaking. And when you think about how well Zion has played as, as the point guard recently and, and really putting the ball in his hands and, and creating for the team, um, I mean, Brandon Ingram himself as an ISO scorer, he's a great, great efficient scorer um, and playing him off of screens, great off-ball shooter. But imagining them two in pick and roll actions, if they can get that down, if, if Brandon Ingram can be can get better as, as a screener and, and be and even do inverse pick and rolls, I mean that that's something that you know you, you can't defend that. I mean Zion destroys switches, Zion destroys drop coverages, Zion's getting better at dealing with uh, double teams. But you put a gifted off-ball scorer like Brandon Ingram who can also destroy a, a mismatch. If you get them out in the uh, on the perimeter, um, it's going to be really tough to defend both of them if you have to figure out that sort of that sort of motion. And um, I think what's exciting for me is the amount of um, experimenting that they can have with the type of plays that they can run with these two guys. I mean, it's really when you think about the limit for Zion. I mean, we saw him as just this uh, back to the basket. You can kill a switch or just bully his way into the paint. And now you're seeing much more finesse from him in terms of, I mean, just running an offense. Um, the way that these two guys can play together, I think there's there's a Pandora's box that's just waiting to be opened. Yeah, absolutely. And I think how crazy it is to think of this, trading Anthony Davis may have been the greatest thing that the Pelicans <laughs> ever did. I mean, you know, how, cra- how crazy it is to say something like that. <laughs> I, I saw that I saw this tweet. Someone uh, posted, "Who would you rather have to to uh, to lead your team?" And it was a picture of Luka Doncic and Anthony Davis. And I was and then I was like, Anthony Davis decided to not lead his team. What are you talking about? And, and it's it's funny that they traded off of a guy who honestly, like I, I understand it. We we talked about it before. Ad didn't have the team that he needed around him to succeed. But I think that that's the point. I mean, Zion is, is I think, already proving 
that you can run a team through him. I think AD needed a team that where he had people to create for him as well. I mean, he wasn't able to carry the load. I think early on this, I mean, Zion hasn't even played a full, an actual full season of basketball. And we're already seeing him evolve into a point guard at his position. I mean, that's, that's insane. That's something that Anthony Davis didn't come close to doing. And I think you're absolutely right. The haul that they got, Pelicans are absolutely in the best position possible from losing AD. I don't think anyone has, I don't think any franchise has made a, a switch off of their superstar like this. You know, look at what just happened to the Rockets. They're, they're sitting here with, with Kevin Porter Jr., John Wall, and Jay Sean Tate. I mean, I, I love these guys. I, mean, I, I love these players that Christian Wood, I love them, but the position there. And I mean, that's the very typical of when a team loses their superstar. And here we are with the Pelicans looking at a bright young duo. Yeah. And I would like, let's, let's be real. They got, they got hella lucky when they, uh, when they managed to get the, that first, that first round pick uh, for, for, for Zion. But still, I mean, just, just hearing those words that, that, that they might be able to say if they win a championship three, four years down the line, be we traded Anthony Davis and it was the best thing we ever did. Not that it's worked out too bad for AD, but that will just it just seems crazy to, to hear something like that, you know? Yeah. All right, where else where else are we going here? Well, uh, the, the one that's that's quite interesting for me, another another West Coast uh, duo that uh, we have talked about before, so we won't even go in too deep, but uh D Book and DeAndre Ayton out there in Phoenix. Your tone says it all does i mean it's not it's not been the most exciting thing in terms of uh duos for a first round pick um yeah deandre ayton for me is is he's a ceiling raiser i think the the suns have been fantastic this year the way they've played defense the way they facilitated for each other the way that i mean they're one of the slowest playing teams in the league and it's because you see them every night they're constantly probing defenses i mean the, the ball movement has been impressive um and DeAndre Ayton hasn't hasn't hindered that I mean he's he's not like one of these young guys who's, who's just who's really in the way I think he's he's complimented it in many ways um I mean his, his face-up game had continues to look very smooth in, in the league and um but I think the the problem is is that it's so mental and it's so just his style of play and that's what strikes me every time I think I always leave uh, I mean, even when he has these impressive games, I, I always leave wanting more because of his just physical frame at 6'11", 250. Like, you want him to be punishing switches. You And this is something I feel so often when I watch guys like uh, like Lowry Markinen. Like, when they when they get switched onto, I mean, they, they don't punish it. And that's, like, the biggest counter in the league to small ball. And small ball is something that kills guys like DeAndre Ayton because he just doesn't have the defensive footwork. And I don't, I'm not sure he ever will to really um, keep up with, with forwards playing the, playing the five. And if they're really pushing to make a championship run, DeAndre Ayton's going to, he's not going to learn how to move his feet faster overnight, but I mean, he sure as hell could throw his 250 pound, 250 pound frame around a little bit more than he does now. And I, I think that's just for, just for little things, I think we talked a little bit more big picture earlier. Um, the more I've watched Aiden, the more I want to see him uh, dominate in the post against switches. Yeah, now that's something that I, I got written down here. I mean, just looking at it as a flat kind of thing, got Devin Booker, three-level scorer. He can be a facilitator when needed. We, we saw that, especially in that um, 
the Philadelphia game there last week, he showed his ability to when he was getting uh, getting double teamed and the shot wasn't going down that he could he could find passes and make plays for others. Then you got Aiden, natural big inside scorer. He can be a monster on the glass. His defense is improving, but of course it's still getting exposed. But if he can keep that defense improving and he can develop a post game, and if Booker can can be a bit more consistent from the three point range, that if that starts to come together over the next probably the end of this season and the playoffs this year and then the, the uh, and then next season I think then you could really look at these guys and think okay there's potential here to make a push but there's still that question mark and like you said the big thing with Aiden is when you see him have these big nights you're still like okay I want to see this consistently and I also want to see you develop your game I think you mentioned it the post game is the big thing for me he needs to develop a post game and be able to dominate inside like that. Yeah, and the surprising thing for me is I really thought he would have a big year this year. I mean, the third year is, is usually a pretty telling year for most young guys. Um, and for him to have arguably one of the best point guards of all time, I don't know where we'll put him uh, when it's all said and done, but Chris Paul has had an obvious effect on guys around him. Um, I mean, you, you just go through his career um, through – through his time in New Orleans, in LA with the Clippers, um, his time in Houston, the bigs around him have always benefited from his ability to run the pick and roll and to see um, and to see the lob when it's there. And I mean, DeAndre Ayton is an elite lob thread. DeAndre Ayton should be an elite um, role man, but I mean, he's not dominated to that point. He's having a down year. I mean, he was, he's down in scoring, um, he's down in rebounds. He's down in free throw percentage. He's barely attempting any more free throws. And for a guy of his size, only to attempt two free throws a game or 2.7, sorry. I mean, that's that's not that's not where you want him at. I, that, that's not the, the kind of aggression that he should be having, especially how often teams are going small against him. So it's it's tough to really talk talk about uh, players like this when it it's comes down to the mental, but it it does fascinate me because there's there's plenty of cases around like this around the league and I'll, I'll say case in point Lowry Markkinen for sure I mean this is something I watch all the time on the Bulls um the the mental aspect of basketball is so um you know you 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 can't encapsulate that with stats I you can't talk about that um with, with the numbers but you you really see the difference in in some guys and just how they play mentally um and I don't know how you, how you do, how you get that out of people. I mean, you hope that Chris Paul is the type of leader and, and, and the way that, uh, um, that this team has come together emotionally, like this, this would be a kind of moment for him to, to grow into. But like I said, DeAndre Ayton is the ceiling raiser. He's honestly the difference between them being a really great team who wins maybe one or two rounds in the playoffs and a championship team. I mean, if he is as good as his talent is, because his talent is unreal. I mean, his physical talent, his touch, what he could do if he adds the mental part of it is is something that he could be an all-NBA type of player, I believe. I mean, he's, he's got the physicality and then the skill of a Joel Embiid, but doesn't show it all the time. Like you said, it's just always inconsistent. Yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest thing for him. Obviously, uh, the last couple of years have been tough. He had that suspension last year as well. And the main thing for him is if it's uh, going to be, I know the, the, the Suns fans are excited about this year. I mean, they have the second best record in the league. 
uh, right up there in, in the West. But I think uh, this offseason for DeAndre Ayton is going to be the difference maker on whether he becomes the guy or he's just going to be another another decent big that hasn't fulfilled his potential in this league. Yeah, and what do you, what do you think about this? Because here's how I see it. If Chris Paul can't get the best out of you with your level of talent, who will? Like, I, I can't name another player who, like, if, if you had to, if last season going to now, you're like, okay, who, who do we get to make DeAndre Ayton better? There is, I cannot think of a better player to do that besides CP3. If he can't do it, then who's going to? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd absolutely agree with that. That they did, they literally did the best job that they possibly could to get a guy in to really show the elite level that he could get to, and he's had he's had a solid year. He's he's not he's not uh, he's not doing anything overly impressive. But the big thing is about the the, the scoring and and free throws and stuff like that. The fact that that's all it's all down. I think he's still shooting rather efficiently, which isn't surprising with the type of shots that he that he takes, but. Yeah, I think I think you're you're absolutely right. I think he got he just has to work. He has to if he wants to be a guy who's going to be a key member of a possible championship team, he's got to put the work in. And he's got to do it now because he's got the best opportunity is to do it now when you're playing with a guy like Chris Paul and the addition of Jay Crowder as well, guys with experience, guys that can help yeah. him play the best the best uh, the best basketball that he can. Yeah, Jay Crowder. I mean, he's, he's... Another fantastic pickup. We won't get into another Suns love fest. Here, but, um, what what a pickup for them. Um, I mean, my, my I don't have a verdict on on these two because you know I, I think DeAndre Ayton still feels raw to me. I mean, still the inconsistency feels more connected to how confident he is in his game right now, um, how confident he is in being a go to type of guy um, because he's not right now, um, and it's what you see in this league is it's always tough and usually impossible to see the growth of multiple players on your team. I mean, you can't talk enough about how awesome Mikhail Bridges has been this year about how um, just NBA ready Cam Johnson is um, on both ends of the floor. Um, So it's a, a lot of times I think players not coming into their own, a lot of times just has to do with, um, in so many different ways, other players around them flourishing. And I, I think that's maybe partially the case here in, in, uh, in DeAndre Ayton, who knows? Um, but in terms of a pairing, um, I think just look at how, how well Devin Booker's played this year with a guy like CP3. Um, if you want to maximize the most out of either of these guys, and if it's not getting maximized out of DeAndre Ayton, you kind of hope that, you know, once CP3 is, is old and gone, um, it's kind of clear to me that Devin Booker isn't a number one playmaker. He's not the guy who who leads the offense in terms of setting the table for everybody, making sure everyone has their shots. I, I don't think he's as he's as uh, James Harden esque as people kind of projected him out to be. So, I mean, I, you you'd almost hope that if 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 they had to make a transition post CP three that. And if they had to move on from DeAndre Ayton to get a more a more elite player uh, point guard, I, I'd I'd rather have a pairing alongside Devin Booker, who someone who can continue the playmaking that uh, facilitates Devin Booker's success here. Yeah, definitely. I think the the Suns 
they might lose out on Devin Booker if they're too persistent with trying to get the best sell at eight and after after picking him number one. That's definitely that's definitely a bit of a trap that they can fall into. But I I think the position they are now, they just need to to to, to make sure that he's doing all the work he possibly can, and he's got the guys like CP3, like Crowder, like Booker as well, working with him to really just because if he can reach his ceiling, who knows what this Suns team can do? But like you say, at the, at this moment in time where we're still just asking for that little bit more out of DeAndre, and he's in he's in the best situation that he possibly could be to to really show it at the moment. Yeah, how about Mon- we got to give Monty Williams a uh, a shout out too? I mean, CP3 is a big reason for this, but yeah, young coach. Uh, I think it's only his uh, second year now as a, as a head coach um, for him to be uh, and just recently named Western Conference uh, Coach of the Month. But I, I think he's he's got to have a big role to play in development. And if, if he's going to help out Aiden, I mean, that's going to be even bigger reason if if uh, he ends up winning Coach of the Year this year, uh, which is going to be a really tight race. And then this is a great segue for me. Uh, what about your guy, Tom Thibodeau? Our guy, Tom Thibodeau. I'm rocking my, my joking <laughs> Noah Bulls jersey here. But uh, Tom Thibodeau leading another young duo, maybe not as young. Julius Randle is is a little bit older to be considered young, but I think in terms of where he's at in his career, to to finally have the reins, uh, he's he's young in his star career. We'll, we'll say that. But his pairing with R.J. Barrett, uh, I think it's just beginning to blossom. And um, I'm always. I'm always okay with saying I'm wrong. Things change in this league. And, you know, I, I call it how it is. I call it how I see it. And, you know, I always leave opportunity for things to change. And I absolutely think that, you know, my, my, my take on how RJ was um, performing last year, projecting to this year is, is proving to be wrong. And I'm very happy about it. I mean, RJ is looking like a very, very confident young star. Yeah, absolutely. I think just, to give give Tibbs that that credit along with along with these two guys, I mean, you say at the start of the year that the New York Knicks are going to be in April sitting in fourth place in the East on a nine game win streak, thirty four twenty seven. I think I would have thought anyone saying that was absolutely insane. Coach Tibbs has been a ginormous part of that. The fact that he's come in with his system, he's got the team to buy into that, and it, and it's really coming up chumps. And then you look at the the, the main guys that are doing it. Obviously, Randall, the one guy, I mean, first-time All-Star this year. He's got to be the favorite for most improved. He's also very likely to make it onto an All-NBA team, the way that he's been playing. And he's just he's leaving the New York Knicks back to the postseason, which is just such a ginormous thing. Like LeBron said, the league is better when the Knicks are winning. And I absolutely, surprisingly, <laughs> you are, I your, your eyes are sparkling. You're, you're spooning, <laughs> you're blushing. I, I get it. <laughs> and then like uh, the pairing with RJ still a young developing kid. He's still only 20 years old. So when you're looking at his game, especially after last year, the biggest thing is seeing improvements. And I'm seeing a lot of that, uh, especially with strength inside and his three point shooting and free throw percentage. I think that, that we've seen, a bit more efficiency on that end and it's something that he's going to have to develop because he is a guy that does his best work when he's attacking the rim so he's going to be going to the free throw line and he's got to be able to shoot a consistent percentage to really to really show his his bet his best stuff and with a guy like Julius Randle there alongside him I mean these two guys are only at the beginning the only thing you'll say is does the next step get taken or are they kind of, have they reached their ceiling? That's just kind of the, the main thing. 
only seeing this for one year. This has got to, got to keep going and keep going. So I want to be as, I'm, I'm as high as I possibly can be, but I'm also kind of like, it, it's only, it's only been one year. Let's see how, how they develop uh, over the next couple of seasons. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing for me, you said it, the shooting RJ has, was not a good shooter in Duke. He was a horrific shooter last year. He's gotten better this year. I mean, but his three pointer looks great. I mean, it's clear the the strides he he's made. Um, I mean, D- Drew Hanlon is just the the guard whisperer, and for him to have helped him change his uh, his shooting form just a little bit, um, it was actually really fascinating to to read about this. Uh, Drew Hanlon was helping him with his shooting form and uh, and looking at his mechanics. I mean, it does look a lot different, and it look looks more. You can notice how his his left as a lefty shooter he's he's flaring his arm out a little bit more than having his his narrow stance his narrow shooting form and you know he still has a lot of these moments where um where off the dribble he just doesn't have enough lift and he doesn't look super comfortable as a a pull-up shooter but then there are other moments where like he's under control and he's taking shots in flow and he's hitting threes especially off of uh, relocations and you know, there, there are things that you didn't see last year, you never saw in Duke, absolutely not. And for him to have added these things already has already, I mean, shown up on the stat sheet. He's shooting uh, almost 39% from three as opposed to 32 last year. I mean, his his attempts are up there and his free throw numbers, I, I think that that's something that I've been surprised. With the guard, as physical as he is with the long strides he has, um, I think that's, that's somewhere this off season. You know, he's going to add something every year to his game. He's that type of player who has that work ethic. Um, and you said it. I think that's that's the next step. Our, Julius Randle's arrived. I mean, th- this guy's a, a bona fide star. He's, I mean, he's the guy that, you know, what, what's funny to me is that the Knicks have been which waiting for a star, waiting, 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 waiting. You're going to get Kevin Durant? No. You're going to get Kyrie? No. Didn't get Zion. Didn't get Kawhi. Didn't get anybody. And then it's like, oh, we're stuck with. Julius Randle. But in reality, I mean, the Knicks had reached out to, to Randle. I mean, th- this is going to be their guy. I mean, if if you had told me that a couple of years ago, I mean, I'd absolutely laugh in your face that, you know, that is such a Knicks thing to believe in Julius Randle as their guy. But um, I mean, Randle's been a professional star. I mean, he's led this team. And um, the the fascinating thing that he said to, to uh, Woj in his interview with him um, was that the first thing that he was asked of when he was asked uh, signing with the Knicks is, you know, like what, what can we do to have you be the star of this team? And first thing he said is give me a coach that can hold me accountable. I mean, who better than, than Tibbs to be coaching up a guy like him and a hard worker like RJ Barrett. I mean, the, the marriage of the, these players is really forming a culture that, that I think, you know, is, is something you guys haven't had in a long time. You, you haven't had an identity. You haven't had a culture. You haven't had really anything to build off of. You just had MSG. That's it. The Garden. That was your only identity and a whole bunch of players that didn't really match. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great to see as well that uh, I think co- the, the style of coach that Coach Tibbs is, it, it kind of felt like kind of almost a dying genre. So it's great <laughs> that he's been able to come come in and these these players have have committed to his style of play and it's really working. That was another big thing. The amount of coaches that we went through and none of them were ever able to come in and really stamp an authority on, on this team. It was kind of just, okay, yeah, go out and play and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens and then we'll 
will go go again and do the exact same thing over and over. Coach Taves, like you said, like you saying Randall said, get a coach that will hold him accountable, and you know, you know, Thibodeau is is doing that exactly, <laughs> and and you know what, it, it's working. So long may it continue. Yeah, but. For, for this duo, I mean, these two guys are big, strong players. I mean, they're smart with the ball. Julius Randle, I mean, has looked as much much better as a facilitator this year, much more patient with finding his shots. I mean, he's not just uh, just bullying into the pain. I mean, the way he shoots a three, the way he can get to his mid-range. I mean, he's he's shooting fadeaways like Kobe some nights. I mean, it's it's insane. Oh, the little wing, the little wing fadeaway. He's loving, he's loving that move, especially down the stretching games, and, and it's working for him. Yeah, it, it's it's a shot. You you, I, I mean, even last year, it's a shot that I'd be like, ooh, that's not a great. And but that's been his staple, and and you hope that RJ Barrett forms a game that you know he has a go to. He has um, a reliable source of scoring, um, and he's not there yet. But I think he's gonna, he's definitely gonna get there. And for a uh, quote unquote young duo, um, the, the ability for these two to play off of each other and the ability for them to, to switch, I think that's gonna be the really, really um, amazing part of, of, their, of their play. If, if RJ, RJ Barrett, I mean, he's, he can guard one through four when he's really physically engaged. Same thing with Julius Randle. He's not gonna keep up with some of the quicker guards, and same thing with RJ. But I mean, they're going to be nine times out of ten more physically capable than your average small ball wings out there and your your two guards out there. So I think the way that Tibbs employs these uh, these physical type of play styles, I think these guys are going to be absolutely perfect in there. And they got once they get uh, Mitchell Robinson back, having having Mitch and having uh, Nerlens Noel those two guys in the back. I mean, that defense is not going to be fun to play against any night of the, of the year. No, absolutely. And that's, that's another big thing. That's something that you would look at, at Barrett and Randall and you never really would have, you kind of would have thought of those as guys that were almost going to get exposed in this sort of system, but they're, they're fitting in just fine. And that's, it ain't just all about offense there. They're showing up big, big on the, on the defensive end while also improving on the offensive end. And you just, can't really ask for, for much more than that at this stage as a Knicks fan. Yeah. All right. I have a little puke in my mouth. I've had enough of Knicks for the past week. I love it, but I, I got to give myself a break here. Uh, where are I we going? I have a duo that I know you want to talk about. Let's talk about the two young guys in Memphis. Oh, yes. Finally. All right. I was, I was running out of, out of juice here. John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, it's the, the fits undeniable there, right? I mean, for... For out west, you can't name a better up and coming duo. You, you can't project out a better star tandem, I don't think, um, than these two guys. Um, I think Jaws ja having a down year this year. Jaron Jackson Jr. finally uh, reinserted himself into the lineup here, getting healthy. Um, but man, I, I don't I don't see anyone else in the league who has more talent. I I project them higher out than Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I'd, I'd put those two out there. And let, let me tell you why. I mean, you, you have the two positions that are the most important positions left for. I mean, having having a wing, I mean, that, that's that's a clear formula. Boston's got that down times two. But John Morant, a, a guy who can – he's the type of guy like a, a Luka Doncic, a, a Chris Paul, a James Harden. I mean, when he gets his, his three-point shot down, 
when you can shoot better off the pick and roll, I mean, he already knows how to orchestrate an entire offense. He already knows how to make everyone around him better. I mean, he's a, he's a ceiling raiser, floor raiser. Jaron Jackson Jr., I mean, he's exactly what you wish Chris Asperzingas was. And he shoots deep threes. He can take you off the dribble. He can punish you off of switches. Um, and defensively, I mean, this guy's a terror. And John Morant is only getting better on that end. His physicality and, and, and his uh, physical gifts gives him the ability to guard just about anybody who's, who's not going to post him up. I mean, I don't see how these guys, if they continue physically getting better, they already have the the tools outside of uh, John Moran's shot to be just probably I, I think one of the best duos in the league. I mean, wait wait for wait for your Kawhi's to, to phase out your your Lebron's to phase out. I mean, come come uh, come three four years from now, I think that this is going to be probably one of the best duos, if not the best duo in the league. Yeah, you're make, making a strong case there, and as you say, with, with, with Morant, the big thing is. He's shown his superstar potential this year, despite the fact that he is on a down year, just by having the Grizzlies in playoff contention. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. hasn't played all season. It's just been Morant. And even though he's been struggling, he's still led led the team to a very strong position where they're, they got to be feeling fairly confident that they're going to be in the playoffs this year. And I mean, you just look, you look at Morant and the guy is just like, he's like a video game sometimes. And like his athletic ability is just unbelievable. Serious superstar potential. He's a guy that gets fans off their seats. And then you look at that with a pairing with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And he's what you want, a modern big who spreads the floor. He shoots from deep, but he also has the moves if he get closed out on three that he can make the move inside and, and dominate uh, inside with the scoring as well. The only question mark I kind of have on him is maybe the defensive potential just because of the amount of fouling. He gets into foul trouble a lot when I have seen him. And that's something that that I guess teams are, are looking to expose. So maybe that's one area that he will improve on. He's still only a young guy. He's still learning his way in this league. And that's something that's, that, that will get better. That's the only real question mark I can have. So I, I can really get behind when you're talking about how good these guys are going to be three, four years from now. I, I don't think it, it's really possible to to go out and limb and just say there's no way that's going to happen because we've seen them on the court together, obviously not as much as we would have liked to have. But even look at them as individuals, they got serious talent. And you know, as a combo, it just looks like it's going to be a bright few years in Memphis. Yeah, I mean, when when you break down the film, when you look at how how Jaron Jackson plays defense, and if and if you anyone out there who who uh, doesn't follow you, you got to check out um, Thinking Basketball. I mean, this guy really points out a lot of awesome tidbits on on how these guys play. Um, but Jaron Jackson's his not not just his physical ability. I mean, he has a wingspan. He has the the vertical he has the foot speed he has every single if you were to make a defensive player on 2k like and just max out every single defensive style I mean, that's what it would feel like with, with jaron jackson here he has every physical tool but you know it, it's it's not that i mean complete opposite of, of a guy like deandre ayton right like where sometimes deandre ayton gets caught sleeping doesn't doesn't know where the cut is coming from doesn't know where to, to rotate sometimes i mean Jaron Jackson Jr. from day one has always had that instinct. He's had the instinct of, of where of where to be. 
and how to contest. And I mean, a lot of times his activity out there gets him in trouble. And that's why he's, he's aggressively seeking these blocks. He's aggressively protecting the rim. And that's why he's getting so many fouls. I mean, you'd almost rather, you'd rather see your bigs um, be in foul trouble and be as productive as they are defensively. Cause you know, you can fix that. You can fix the amount of aggression. You can get smarter on that and be a little bit more um, choosy with, with where you choose to be aggressive. But I mean, this is a guy who already has elite defensive instincts and you see it on full display with guys like Draymond Green. I mean, if, if you compare the two guys physically, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. has the same, has maybe not as quick, not quite as switchy, but I mean, in terms of being a rim defender, I mean, he's got all, all the intangibles and the physical ability to do it. And then we don't even have to talk too long about John Moran and his, his ability to just have eyes on the back of his head. He knows where everybody is on the court. So in my mind, I mean, you have, you have a guy who's, who I, I think it should be one day first team all defense in Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, who should be a long standing all-star point guard once he can get his shot down. I mean, if you already have those pieces there, I mean, it's pretty easy to fill in around that. I mean, that's, that's the, the dream combination. And that's, that's a traditional um, big forward combination that is so easy to build around. I mean, they already have such an awesome team and look how far they, far they've come in the, the standings already, even without um, John Morant having another killer season, even without Jaron Jackson Jr. having being here at all. And, I don't even know what's going to happen next year, but if, if I'm buying stock in, in Grizzlies, I'm buying all of it now. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a fair point. And you talk about the the impact that, that some of the, uh, the other role players have had, the likes of uh, Anderson, the likes of Valanciunas, the likes of uh, of Dylan Brooks. They've really, they've, they've been able to buy yeah. in. And it's Grayson been, Allen. Yeah, exactly. Everybody. Like it's, it's, been, it's been really impressive. And I think, my, 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 I would just not to go back to the Knicks for too long. They've kind of taken the grit, and grind. <laughs> they've taken the grit and grind crown uh, for for this season. But the the, the Grizzlies are, are a team that are kind of looking like they're on the same track. They just haven't had the chance, really. Maybe just without their without their two start to, to really uh, to really go go all out with it. But it, they're they're on kind of the same sort of flow, and you just think it's going to be. Uh, the offseason this year is going to be big for them. Jaron Jackson Jr. getting fully healthy. Morant kind of just working on his game. And like I think everything's going to come together for him. He's got some serious talent. And then for the start of the next season, they just got to be there and set and ready to be hitting the ground running. I'm curious, you know, they have, you said, you have so many young guys who are already contributing. I mean, you, you take uh, Xavier Tillman, you take a Grayson Allen, uh, you take uh, a Bane, you, you take these guys, a Dylan Brooks, and you put them on another team, they're going to be contributing uh, solid role players. Um, you know, that, that's something that every every team needs. Every every team needs that. Every team needs draft picks. And the Grizzlies got a whole lot of both. Um, I wonder how invested they are in having all these good young role players versus, you know, maybe maybe there's another move to be made. I mean, they, they definitely uh, wanted to get another guy um, in the offseason, but it, it didn't really come to fruition. But they've really invested, I think, almost too much in how much young talent they have that, you know, they, they're playing with house money. They could even make a splash in the offseason. I mean, it, it's it's not out of the realm possibility for all the, the talent that they have to to really get crazy. 
Yeah, I think that that that's just another area as we talked before. A uh, kind of the market in Memphis. It, it is tough. It is tough to make deals, especially a free agency. It's tough to to really sell people on on some of the stars in the league coming out coming out to uh, to Memphis. But when you see what they have and you look at Morant and Jared Jackson Jr., you should think you could go out there and this could be one of the, the next big things. I mean, maybe not this season, maybe not next, but down it, a few years down the line, if things go in the right direction, as as I think all the signs are pointing to is going to happen, a lot of people are going to be wanting to play uh, as part of this, as this, this Memphis team. And maybe now is the time to get in there and really come up with these guys, come up and develop with Morant and Jared Jackson Jr. and be part of the whole story when things really hit hit their heights. Yeah. You know, and, and perhaps, you know, the, the opposite reality is, is probably more true, um, that they're a small market and they've hit the jackpot on drafting so many guys who really uh, coalesce perfectly together. So maybe it's, it's just not worth even breaking up. I mean, they have, they have a ton of guys who are committed to the, the team. They're committed to the direction of the team. They acknowledge the the best players in, in John Morant and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, th- there's already kind of a set team here. So maybe that's and that's something that that matters. I mean, they went out and they got Justice Winslow, another guy who really matches their type of play. Um, I'm, I'm curious if if this is the the direction they go with, like home homegrown talent. And they, they're not really going to push to to get another star if stars aren't really that interested in making their way out to Memphis. We all know how big markets were, but that, that for me, you, you uh, mentioned at the beginning of it. I, I definitely think I'm very high on this, this duo. I'm very high on Zion and, and Brandon Ingram. I'm very high on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but I think out of all of them, I mean, these two guys could be, could be the, the combination of their talents and, and their positions could make the Grizzlies from just a, a solid spunky team to a bona fide champ when post LeBron era bona fide championship contender. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, of another small market team, how about, how about we finish off with the final, a final young ish duo out there in, uh, in Minnesota, they got the very young guy in Anthony Edwards, only 19. And then they got the kind of more experienced guy in cat at 25. What do you think is the ceiling for these two guys? Um, I'm always high and low, man. It's, uh, I mean, the results don't speak for themselves. They, they, they don't. And there's a million reasons for that. Um, I, I, I feel, I feel like what, what's really missing here um, is a good point guard. Uh, Anthony Edwards has a long way to go. Um, I, I think, I mean, he, he has the opportunity to be a amazing scorer in this league. He has the opportunity to, we'll, we'll, we'll see how efficient he gets with it. Cause I think really that's, that's what it comes down to. We talked about the mental game of, of Deandre Ayton, uh, Anthony Edwards being a, being better with his shot choice. I mean, that's, that's everything. Um, and that's tough. I mean, you see that from young players all the time. It's tough to get out of their old habits. I mean, this is a guy who came out of uh, Georgia Tech where, you know, he takes whatever shot he wants. And he said it time and time in interviews, both in college and the NBA, you know, any shot that he takes, it looks like a good one for him. And when he starts to get going, I mean, that's, 
that's a tough thing of recognizing the NBA um, where you get yours and where you get your teammates theirs. Cause that's, cause Edwards, I see so much talent as a playmaker as well. I mean, how many, how many guys at his position, his size and physicality is throwing lefty hook passes, no look passes with, with the offhand hooking it out to the corner. I mean, he makes some very impressive reads and passes that, you know, I, I think if, if that was his mindset more often and he knew when to incorporate that in his game, that that would be something that would consistently help this team win. Um, I think relying on Edwards to just constantly be this, okay, when he gets hot, then he's good type of thing. That, I mean, that's what leads to him being this over the course of the season, inefficient scorer that has exciting moments and can play games where he, he wins you the game, but can play games where he kind of plays you out of it too. Um, and Carl Anthony Towns, you know, it's, it, it feels like an AD situation to me too, except he's, he's not that type of guy. I don't think he's ever going to be pushing to get out of town. But Carl Anthony Towns, I think, you know, maybe it takes a season to implement him in that kind of Jokic role. Um, but it hasn't impacted uh, them to, to win. It, it hasn't impacted uh, this team as a whole. I mean, their defense has been abysmal. Hmm. Their, their playmaking as a team has been bad. Um, the synergy doesn't come from these two guys right now. And maybe it does next year, but in terms of when we're talking about a duo, um, I, I guess I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more of how they play off of each other because um, that's going to be the key of, you know, how, how, did this, how does this Timberwolves team move forward? Because you already have your, your star in Connor Anthony Towns. I don't think Minnesota ever thinks about trading him. I mean, you just can't. In that type of market, you don't get rid of a guy like that. Um, but is, is Anthony Edwards a, a type of guy who – you think is going to fit long-term alongside Carl Anthony Towns? That's my question. I don't know if you've come to any, if you've come close to answering that question, but I've had my doubts, but I mean, when I've seen him play well, it's, it's looked like something where you just want him to do it more. Yeah. I think that, that that's something that will come with, with time in the league. He's still, he's still only a teenager. So you'd hope if he really is that, that talented that that will come as, as he develops into the league. But I mean, you look at the two of the guys, they're both just kind of offensive elite. The, the potential is there to be an offensively elite duo. I mean, you look at Cat, he's your modern big. He can score, he can pass, he protects the rim. Then you got Edwards. Obviously, we've only kind of seen it in short bursts this year, but an explosive score. He got the power, the quickness, his ability kind of shift his feet and shift it uh, while he's running at full speed is, is unbelievably impressive. I mean, you kind of question the defense, but you're kind of like the upside really outweighs the downside uh, when you're looking at these two. And the one thing I, I just keep on turning to is like, I can't tell if it's crucial whether or not they hold on to their pick this year. I mean, like, can they do it with just Kat and Anthony Edwards? Is it possible to build a winning team with just those two guys? Cause I mean, they're starting to win a couple of games. Don't get me wrong, they'll still be right down there, but their chances of getting a top three pick are, are, are shortening. And that's the, the question that keeps kind of picking in my mind. If they don't, if they lose their pick this year, will that be the final nail in the coffin for, for this Minnesota team? And will they have to, to look towards rebuilding? I mean, they're they're in a, a lose 
they're, they're in a very much a, a lose and kind of win situation because at Cat's at position in, in his course of his career, you'd hope they're already kind of pushing to can compete more. But you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be betting on Anthony Edwards. I mean, that, that's my thing. Because you talked about defense. I'll tell you this. I mean, as an on-ball defender, I mean, this guy can really show it. I mean, when when the game's on the line, when he's taking it personally, Anthony Edwards is a fantastic defender against anyone I've seen him play against. And then it's off ball. I mean, this is something you saw with Zach Levine too. Zach, Zach Levine took um, I, I think he's just Zach Levine just now is getting around to being more engaged defensively. Um, that's something that takes time with, with players like this in my mind. I, I think that that's a mental thing you see with guys who are very focused on scoring um, and aren't as engaged off ball. I mean, his that that's really the thing for me. If, if Anthony Edwards can't succeed as an off ball shooter and as a team defender um, and isn't really looking to be, to get the most efficient shots possible, where do you really put him in terms of, of building a winner around Carl Anthony Towns? Um, I mean, we talk about the Golden State Warriors, who they're tethered to with their with their pick that they owe them. If if they're going to keep their pick, or the the Wolves' pick, James Wiseman is going to keep all these assets. If they're not really going to help Steph Curry win, are, are they going to hold on to the youth around Carl Anthony Towns, or is, is there is there a way? to get more productive pieces around a guy who honestly could be a, I don't know, where, where do we even see Carl Anthony Towns right now? It, it's become lost in the shuffle as, as, the, as the Wolves have really sunk out of any thought of competition. I mean, he's, he's completely evaded any meaningful conversations as a top player this year. But where does, where does he even stand in terms of how we project him out to be a a lead player on a, on a contending team. Is that, is that even, is that notion starting to disappear? Yeah, it's kind of hard to, to, to argue it, but I, I think he's just still such a talented player. And you kind of mentioned the comparison to Jokic. And I think we're kind of seeing that a little bit more than, than usual this year. I mean, with, with, with the, his kind of look to pass, I mean, he's averaging four and a, four and a half assists and the, the way he's sort of playing, obviously we haven't really seen a lot of it. It's only played 39 games, but, He's kind of transitioning that little, little small bit more. Still, still a long way off to the the style of center that that Jokic is. And, and in my head, if if it's possible for the for the Timberwolves to to build a team mainly as, as talented as the Nuggets are, I think Cat can absolutely match those numbers. The number the the crazy numbers that that Jokic is having this year, I think Cat absolutely has the ability to to put up those those sort of numbers and and arguably probably be and even an even better scorer than that because that's just that's how talented I, I, I do believe that he and is. Ah, huh? then who? Then Jokic. Are you insane? Really? What? what like what? What, what weeks does he what? have on offense? Well, I mean, I did Jokic. Uh, don't don't you dare even compare Carl Anthony to Jokic. I mean. Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, this guy is taking step back threes. I mean, that's cool. That's cute. I, I love that. I, but Jokic is just not, they're not on the same stratosphere right now. I mean, Jokic gets whatever he wants on switch. He gets whatever he wants in the paint and, and the way that he's orchestrating the offense too. I mean, I, I, I just don't think that you, you even can project Carl Anthony Towns on the same level in terms of like where, where they're at, the amount of weapons that Jokic has. 
Where was where was Jokic two years ago? I mean, not not, not at this level, but I mean, um, when, when was when was Jokic drafted? This is a, this is a, this is actually evading me right now. <laughs> uh, surely it uh, was twenty fifteen was cap. When was when was Jokic? Jokic the year before? 2016. 2016. 2016. They're both drafted in the same year. No, cast 2015. Yeah, they're, they're both drafted in 2015, 2016. That's what I'm saying. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, then that, 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 is, that is fair enough, yeah. I would I mean, argue that... Literally the, is, is on his way to being the best playmaker of all time, potentially, and the best, better than than Kareem, better than you. You fill in the blank. He's he at the end of his career has a very good chance as being regarded as the best big scorer ever. Better than Shaq, better than Kareem. I I don't think I don't even think that I I'd imagine Cat is going to to get to that point. I mean, what what's what, where does Cat get better from here? I I just think with the with the right team around him and just playing consistently. I mean. He has the last full season he played was what was it 18 19 yeah yeah so i mean like he's been he's been kind of out of he's had a lot a lot of issues off the court i'm just saying that with the right platform i believe that cat can just absolutely dominate any team and be one of the elite centers in, in, in the nba and i and i stand by that i just think it might be a case that the Timberwolves just end up end up letting him down and don't give him the best platform. Like, let's be real here: the Nuggets, they obviously they found they found an absolute jamming in getting Jokic that late in the draft, and they worked with him and they've given him the the team around him where he can really flourish, and that's something that the Timberwolves absolutely have not done, not done for Cat, but. I do respect what you're saying. It, it is it is tough to to see it at at this moment in time. I'm just saying that I think Cat has the has the ability. To, he's he can be a big that's averaging 30 uh, points and 10, 10, 11 rebounds a game. He's gonna have solid uh, assist numbers on like double teams and stuff. And he could also be a guy that's having a 50, 40, 90 year. That's kind of that's how elite this guy can be on offense I, I won't i won't take it away from but i mean i like when i when i think about because i i think all right well I mean, my question was to you is how how close do we do we still regard him as a as a meaningful like best player or even second best player on a contending team and then you whip out Jokic, and you gotta you gotta ease me into that because i mean there's <laughs> no comparison i mean i, I think for, for me too i mean just to be specific Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, he's not a guy that I, 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 I fail to trust him in the clutch too. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't shown, and it's tough. You, you're right. I mean, the Timberwolves haven't done him any favors in keeping him in a lot of close games. So I mean, his clutch stats are, are, are a little bit wonky there, but I don't, I, I haven't seen enough from, from Cat in the clutch when the game is on the line to be that guy. And it may, that's, that's probably, I mean, you're probably right. I mean, that's mostly probably a product of, of the Timberwolves not being a cohesive team at the moment, but I, I think that, you know, I mean, Jokic has, has dragged um, Jamal Murray when he's, when he's playing an inefficient night, like he does a lot in, in beginning parts of the season. 
um, dragging the second units of Denver. I mean, when when Jamal Murray's not playing, Jamal Murray's not playing well. I mean, Jokic is that whole team. I mean, you you flip that. I mean, if if you were to put if you were to put Jokic on the Timberwolves right now, would you think their record would be better than it is? And would it be significantly better? And I think my answer pretty easily is it would be significantly better. Yeah, I I just don't know about about significantly better. I I I I'm not gonna say that Jokic will be averaging any less or anything like that, but I just think the team around him is that significantly worse that it, it wouldn't really make that huge of a difference. At this very moment, it's hard to say he's almost certainly the MVP, so it's kind of tough to say that he wouldn't have a pretty meteoric impact on that team, but I'm thinking... I mean, he's playing like this when Michael Porter Jr. Is, is, still, is still easing into the season. Jamal Murray's playing inefficient. There's no... Aaron Gordon, Paul Millsap looks like an old man. I mean, he's, he was putting up these numbers with, with the Denver team that, you know, they were struggling, but they, they were, he was keeping them as close to in it as they could. And we were talking about the Nuggets, like, oh, my God, are they, are they falling off? Are they not going to make it this year? And Jokic is the only shining point. Yeah, I, I don't know that, how we got into a Jokic versus Cat conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, we did it. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'd say, I'd say I, I could see him having them in contention maybe for the, for the playing, but I don't, I'm not going to say that they're – they're gonna. They would definitely be in the playoffs just with Jokic on the team rolls. Not nothing crazy like that. Yeah, I know, and I think that's significantly better than where. The yeah, team- I, maybe they'd have him in like where the Pelicans are at. Maybe that that's probably where he probably would boost him. The way he's playing at the moment, uh, maybe yeah, he get yeah. them kind of that sort of level. But yeah. one thing I think we can agree on with, with Minnesota, I don't think uh, D'Lo is the answer, and if this this duo of Anthony Edwards and Cat is really gonna gonna get the best chance to uh to shine i don't think they're gonna be able to do it with with d-low as as the as the point with edwards there yeah with those three there um yeah it's 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 pretty clear to me um just another team where Lamelo ball is just uh just over there <laughs> tough to watch them for any of those fans I want to give a quick shout out. We didn't have time for it you gotta we gotta close here but Halliburton and fox and another duo to look at in the west um, I mean, Halliburton, I, I need to just put this out there. Halliburton's an absolute class of his own at his age. No one else is doing what he's doing at, at the levels of efficiency, defense, all-around play. Um, when, you, when you look at players, when you're looking at, you know, think about a guy like him who's contributing at his level and dishing out the ball very efficiently for assisted turnover ratio and effective field goal percentage, there's only three players that are in his league and it's, I mean, it's surprisingly, but it kind of matches that kind of player you think of TJ McConnell, who's having a fantastic, if you haven't been watching any TJ McConnell this year, this guy is absolutely balling. He's doing it super under the radar. Pacers haven't been crazy, but TJ McConnell, Mike Conley and Halliburton, only three players with the assisted turnover ratio over three and effective field goal percentage over 55%. I mean, you also take a look at Halliburton's contribution with his rebounding, his, his pace, um, his ability to get in the passing lanes. And then, I mean, we, we haven't talked enough about Fox, who unfortunately is as the way the, the season has gone. Every time someone's gone in terror, they have to go into COVID protocols. But, I mean, De'Aaron Fox has, I think, found a long-term partner here that he definitely doesn't have in Buddy Heald. Halliburton and Fox, I think that, that's going to be an interesting duo. And Halliburton, I mean, you can insert him next to any name of these of these players here. And he's just the perfect puzzle piece that fits 
all of these, all of these duos. Um, I'm really excited to see them flourish over the coming years. Yeah, I think we were we were both kind of re- really high on on Halliburton from from the early splash that he made with the Kings. The thing I would just say is just that the Kings are just still such a a strange watch almost. It's kind of hard to commit to to, to watching one of their games because they could be electric or they could just be just bore, bore the socks off you. It's kind of it's still. <laughs> It, it, they, they ain't doing enough to make you want to watch them just to just yet, but the the expectation levels got to be there compared to the la- the last uh, the last few years. Yeah, well, all right, and we've we've uh, we've killed it on time here. I thought we'd we'd uh, have a little bit of time left, but just goes to show how exciting a lot of these these young duos out out here are. Um, I'm glad we can talk about some some other teams as I'm, I'm having difficulty really watching my bulls out here and watching the success of everyone else out in the east but um well we'll be back pretty soon um talking some more uh things around the league canvas so canvas some uh, actual basketball going on today um I'll, I'll jump back into the dismal reality of the uh nba and it'll, it'll be tough it'll be a tough watch but we got the miami heat again tonight Maybe Denzel Valentine will hit the rim next time he decides to shoot a 35 footer for uh <laughs> just just maybe and maybe the Knicks will make it 10 in a row against 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 the Suns tonight. Oh we'll, yeah. How crazy, that. how crazy is New York gonna go if they if they go 10 in a row against uh the Suns? Oh man, it'll be it'll be absolutely insane. And one other thing we gotta mention quickly is Washington Wizards, they're on an eight-game win streak and it's barely being talked about. I I I know, I know, and I uh... I just can't get behind it. I still can't get behind it. It's, it's fair. That, that's a fair. That's a fair opinion to have. It. It, it is tough to really commit to it. Like, <laughs> are they? Are they going to make the playoffs? That's I mean, If it's in play and tournament, I'd probably be backing them in any one-off game. I, I, I'd be fairly confident of them being able to put in a performance just with the the scoring ability of uh, both the. Uh, Westbrook and Beal in a one-off game, especially the teams going to be going up against, they probably will be backing them in one-off games. So you taking them over the Heat? Where they're playing at the moment, maybe, yeah. Maybe. I, I I would love a matchup between Jimmy Butler and Russell Westbrook. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, big money well, maybe maybe we'll get it. Maybe 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 we'll get it. I think on paper, at, at the way we're looking at the moment, it's looking very likely. So maybe we'll get to see some some interesting battle there in the old in the old playing tournament. Still, still, still about 10, 10 to twelve games left for everyone. So still time for for some uh, shifting to go on in uh, in in the seedings. Yeah. Well, all right, man. We'll uh, we'll jump back right into that. Hopefully, sometime at the end of the week here. Um, good luck to your Knicks. Um, Actually, I, I might want you to wish me some some bad luck for for the Bulls. Maybe sinking. Maybe this is what we need. We need to keep our pick, and this is uh, this is the the win win. We get Vucevic and keep our top four pick. But uh, best of luck to you. Um, I might cry myself to sleep tonight, so don't check in on me. And uh, I'll be talking to you later, man. Peace, brother. Take care.
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.